0: You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Raiders Pictures Edition. We're back to talk more Indiana Jones, and today we are talking about Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, part two, colon, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom.
1: Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, part two? Colon.
0: Colon. I this, that's what they should have called it. Raiders of the Lost Ark, part two, colon, Indiana Jones, and the Temple of Doom.
1: No, I i don't I don't think that.
0: You know what? I, I've said this before, but what I actually think they should have just called it is this Temple, of, temple doom. of Doom or the Temple of Doom or a Temple of Doom. Is this the only Temple of Doom? I don't know what the article is. It's at least
1: that. Yeah. At, it's, it's at least a Temple of right. Doom.
0: This is one of, this, this definitely qualifies as a Temple of Doom. Of doom. Yeah. yeah.
1: One might say if ever there was a Temple that qualified as a Temple of Doom, this was it. In which
0: case it should be The The. Temple of Doom.
1: But not knowing how many temples of doom, I mean, I don't know.
0: It's not like the world was aware of this Temple of Doom.
1: Yeah, I mean, if Indiana Jones had a plane crash over South America, what's the likelihood that he would have found a different
0: Temple of Doom?
2: Almost
0: 100%. I'm I'm thinking so, too,
2: yeah.
0: (laughs) 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 Really, if we're going off of racist white assumptions here, Really, any place that's not America, he could find a temple of doom, right? I mean, China certainly would have stereotypically. Any place that's not
1: North America. Yeah, yeah, and even depending on his timetable here.
0: Uh, yeah, he could. There'd be like Native American temple yeah, of doom. I mean,
1: we're talking about uh, resurrecting a hundred-year-old dead cult mm-hmm. in India. So, you know, we have a couple hundred-year-old dead cults here, and or you know, it could be a Masonic temple or a. LDS, something or other. <laughs> Indiana Jones takes down the Church <laughs> the Mormons. of Lady Masons. Uh,
0: <laughs> with all their great history that extends for eons. I mean, I suppose if you would just I mean, that's what National Treasure is. Yeah, that, that, that is what- The Mormons what, and the Masons. Insofar so as National Treasure is anything, that's what National Treasure is, I have to say. Even as cheap Indiana Jones ripoff movies, I don't really like those movies very much. I'll go. The, I'll go the, so far as to say. I feel like you've
1: watched these recently. I haven't watched them since I since I like first came out.
0: Yeah, I never saw them back in the day, and I don't know why. I was always I always liked the. I mean, I don't know that I liked the Bruckheimer movies, but they were guilty pleasures. You know, Con Air, The Rock, stuff like that. Yeah. But I think Bruckheimer had done a couple duds by that time. Gone in sixty seconds with Cage and Jolie, I didn't like that much. And oh, Enemy of the State was okay, I guess. It was never saw that Kind one. of a
1: which is weird. It's a Will Smith joint. Yeah, it's I never worth seeing. Saw it.
0: so it's 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 B Smith, but it's better than C or D Smith. It's, it's, it's no Men in Black, but it's also no Men in Black Part Two. <laughs> it's like Men in ba- Black Part Three level, maybe. It's so mm. right there. In Good, the middle. decent Smith, but not not great, not A list like classic Smith. Anyway, what were we talking about? Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. Yeah. In the article. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, as far as Indiana Jones ripoffs go. National Treasure Dead Last in my book. I'd rather watch- Laura Croft. Uh, okay, I've actually never seen the Laura Croft movies. Me neither. Uh, But, but I'll, I can name some things that I'd rather watch the National Treasure. I'd rather watch The Da Vinci Code, I think, even though it's blasphemous never and stupid it. and boring, just because it's got Tom Hanks and it's pretty. I'd certainly rather watch The Mummy movies with Brendan Fraser. I was going to ask about that. Which I actually do enjoy. The Mummy movies with Tom Cruise? You know, Jake, this must have been before my wife came along or maybe- I don't know. For actually, you know what it was? I think I was dating my girlfriend at the time. Uh, she was in a something. She was she was not there, and I was depressed. And I went. You know what? It might have been the movie pass era, so it felt easy oh, yeah. and cheap to to go. Just ah, yeah, well, yeah,
1: five dollars a month or whatever it was, yeah. ten dollars a month. Movie pass. Mm-hmm. Just go to the theater.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think I think I used my movie pass just for myself because I was a single man twice, and one of them was. For Molly's Game, The Aaron Sorkin Joint, which was pretty bad, actually, although I generally like Sorkin, and uh, The Mummy with Tom Cruise, which was also pretty bad. So, two zero out of two in terms of my movie pass. depressed be, movie pass.
1: Should have been paid. People should have paid movie pass.
0: People should have paid movie pass. I don't know what these words mean.
1: Well, movie pass, this whole thing was we're going to save the theaters and we're going to make them pay us. Right. Because and the movie theaters and both the movie theaters and the movie makers are going to see this is the model this is the way forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, I only had movie pass for like a year, but for that year I had movie pass, I saw so many movies in theaters that I would never have seen. Yes. Uh, either in theaters or as rentals or ever, like I just would never have
0: seen them. Yeah, it was Somebody somebody still needs to crack this. AMC has a decent subscription. Twenty dollars pro- a
1: month is too much.
0: Yeah, there has the price point has to be right. I think fifteen, maybe we could. I all think swing.
1: fifteen, we could get. You know, of course, we have to not be in a pandemic.
0: Well, yeah, th- that is the but, other problem.
1: But yeah, uh, if you, if you could do it for ten to fifteen, if you could do it for under fifteen, then you can make it. Twenty bucks is just like you've got to see two movies to break even.
0: No, it has to be a price point where you feel bad seeing or you feel okay seeing zero movies. It has to be like the equivalent of Netflix where I never watch Netflix. I'll pay for it forever and I'll complain about paying for it forever. But who's going to cancel their Netflix subscription? It's Netflix.
1: Yeah. And then when you go to it and you're like, man, I never look at Netflix. I never watch Netflix. And you open it up and it's like, oh, there's Back to the Future. Oh, there's Indiana Jones. Oh, there's the Matrix stuff. I sure would like to have access to that stuff that I have no desire to actually watch right now you know it's that's they do have some titles in there that are gonna pop mm-hmm. excuse me that are gonna pop and make you say yeah i don't want to throw away my access to all this stuff
0: right well and, and who who among us doesn't want to watch season one of of demon fighting none or whatever, <laughs> that, whatever that thing's called um
1: netflix by the way still evil still out to pervert your children
0: oh absolutely i'd say Worse than many of the services, like
1: hundred, they are the. I think they're the worst when it comes to kids stuff. You simply can't trust what goes on, up in their kids stuff. They're actively and have been for a long time actively putting in. And now, what uh, was the recent thing? You know, every once in a while, they've got um, something that provokes outrage, clicks, and what they've got some trans kid.
0: Uh, I didn't hear about like that. that. I know they it's- just scored the Legend of Korra, which is the follow-up to not Dragon Ball Z. What is it? The thing that people like Filoni used to work on it. Avatar. Uh, yeah. Avatar, The Last Airbender. And that famously ends with a, a lesbian. She she asks her girlfriend out at, in like the last episode or something like that, which the, which Netflix got roundly patted on the back by people for, that's not what you're thinking of, but it's just a random no, there was No,
1: there's a new show that's like aimed at little kids that has like a trans boy or trans yeah, girl or something I, like I, that. And like, they go to the doctor's office and the doctor's, is treating him or her like their biological sex. And yeah, I don't know. I didn't actually read the article or click on it, but.
0: No, Netflix, look, I always have said since I was aware of Hollywood and movies and started learning about this stuff that there's no evil cabal out there. There's no Hollywood temple of doom plotting our destruction. But Hollywood's been working pretty hard to (laughs) disprove my theory that there's no evil cabal.
1: (laughs) And, And chief among... Those working to disprove that.
0: Netflix. Netflix, right there at the very top. Anyway, you can go back and listen to our Sound of Sanity episodes. Netflix is evil. I mean, the evil. other
1: thing is like Netflix, what they've got the these other shows that are basically like cartoon child porn and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like we really should stop giving our money to Netflix. We should stop passively giving them money so that we can watch Indiana Jones movies.
0: You know, I really thought about switching to HBO, but I use Roku and HBO still hasn't made a deal with Roku of course HBO much uh, nicer <laughs> m- more moral and better than well Netflix. more
1: straightforward yeah at least more honest yeah
0: like it's pretty easy to navigate I would think an HBO menu and get what you want Netflix is tricksy I mean, even just things like putting Raiders of the Lost Dark and Temple of Doom in the kids menu right like Come on, who, okay, sure, we all grew up with these and we have nostalgia, but what thinking adult actually thinks that these are kids' movies? What thinking kid responds to these as kids' movies? Yeah. I mean, come on, you can maybe give a pass to some of the Marvel movies, some of the nicer Marvel movies, although even there, how dumb does our society have to be to think that those are just, well, I'm not saying you can't show them to your kids, I'm just saying they shouldn't be in the menu where your kids get to choose them for themselves. Yeah. You know, just plop your kids down in front of,
2: anyway. <laughs> Those
1: whole those menus are designed so that you can pull up the kid's menu and hand the remote to your kid. That's the idea behind it. Now, we would never recommend any thinking parent do that in any context. But you would
0: hope that the people that were designing it, even if you didn't share all their values, would be trying to choose stuff that would be as innocuous and, quote-unquote, kid-friendly and have as little propaganda going any direction as pop. You'd hope it would be Bob the Builder and Dora the Explorer. Right. And things that are rated G for general audiences and stuff like that. But that's just never the case. Nope. Yes. Approach Netflix with extreme caution. And how on earth did we start talking about this?
1: That's a great question. I have no idea. Somehow
0: we got to all the different places. Oh, I wanted to close the loop on where else temple of dooms would be. And I wanted to say, there are a lot of places as we were saying in the,
1: Netflix is one of those temples of
0: doom. Netflix is a temple of doom. Western civilization also, if you wanted to beat up on Western civilization, Greece could have temple of dooms. There's all kinds of, any ancient culture is going to have all kinds of opportunities for temples of doom.
1: temples of doom.
0: Yeah. I mean, jolly old England would have its temples of doom. You got the Druids, you got... Celts. So it's not just uh, whatever the polite uh, PC word is for oriental culture or south american culture or african culture it's also white western culture so there you go yay raw inclusivity
1: and yet indiana jones never seems to find those temples
0: no no it's
1: maybe he will in this fifth movie maybe it wouldn't surprise me
0: maybe he will uh, it's almost like at least in the canon of western storytelling we have more fears about the the other. foreigners the other well the Kali cult has been a thing for a long time. And I did not bother, I must admit to look up their veracity, but I've read about it before and people are at pains to say, you know, actually there was never a horrible tuggy, uh, tug group of, I think it's pronounced tugged, T-H-U-G, thuggy, yeah. however you say it. There was never a, there was never an evil cult. It was actually a colonial invention because we always demonize the people that we conquer so that we can feel good about conquering yeah. them. I know I've read that. Before. I'm not sure. I guess the only point I'm making is I don't really know how much of this is rooted in any kind of historical reality. I do know that in pulp fiction, the I guess I'll just call them thugs because that feels better. It's T H U G. The Tuggy and the Thuggy cults have been around for a long time in these kinds of stories. You can read, oh, the Fu Manchu stories. Sax romer he wrote early 20th century, kind of a Arthur Conan Doyle. Rip off! there was always this detective running around trying to foil the evil machinations of the diabolical fu manchu who was trying to bring down england and Mm -hmm. western civilization he would often have thug assassins and thuggy cult members working for them and they would sneak in and strangle people and so
1: is that the etymology of thug
0: okay well this will be kind of fun let me just read the take this with a grain of salt folks but this is what wikipedia says about uh, thuggy they were an organized group of professional robbers and murderers the, the the english word thug does trace its roots to hindi a hindi word for swindler or deceiver
1: uh, actually just look up the dictionary definition of thug you get a violent person especially a criminal is definition one and no, definition two historical a member of a religious organization of robbers and assassins in India, devotees of the goddess kali the thugs waylaid and strangled their victims, usually travelers, in a ritually prescribed manner and were suppressed by the British in the 1830s. That is from the Dictionary of Oxford Languages.
0: And Wikipedia, of course, which skews a little bit more to the left, says, contemporary scholarship is increasingly skeptical of the thuggy concept and has questioned the existence of such a phenomenon, which has led historians to describe thuggy as the invention of the British colonial regime. If I had to just take a wild guess with without knowing anything about it, I bet the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. In the middle. Mm-hmm. I bet there were things that happened that were nasty in India and it wasn't just all nice and wonderful and we were oppressing them, but I bet also it got exaggerated and history became legend and legend became myth and blah, 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 blah. Indeed, This is my guess. Again, not an Indian scholar. I'm a slight amateur scholar of pulp fiction. And the only thing I really wanted to say is that this idea and this concept goes back a long time to the 18th century, 18th century and 19th uh, Sorry, century. sorry. Yeah. I, every time. Every time I screw that up. Uh, late 19th century and tw- early 20th century pulp stories full of cult. And one of the best movies about this kind of thing, one of the best early adventure movies is a movie called Gunga Din based on a Rudyard Kipling poem, with a performance by a very young and very handsome and charming Cary Grant, playing the comic buffoon, the third lead in the movie, if I'm not mistaken. And that is about a group of British Lancers that have to face off against an evil Dougie cult. And if people want to see some of the direct inspiration, I guarantee you Spielberg loved this movie and grew up with it, then you can watch Gunga Den. It's a really fun, exciting movie. but. Oh, we got to close the loop on one other thing. Jake, What is what are your thoughts on Indiana Jones ripoffs? I said, I have some sympathy for the Mummy movies. I mean, they're trash, but... Ain't nobody
1: do it like Indy do it. That's true. I have some basic positive... I know this is going to sound so stupid, but I, I have some affection of sorts for the national treasure.
0: We love America.
1: And that's why, yeah. But I've really not not played around too much with any anything else like i've not seen the laura i've seen some of the mummy stuff i don't have a lot of affection for those i what else there was one other that we brought up i feel like
0: i don't think we brought up the quickest one to rip off indiana jones which was romancing the stone with michael douglas never saw it eh, yeah it's fun you know what's interesting about those movies is you watch them and they have these corny bad jazz score and it just detracts Hmm. so it makes you realize how lame Raiders of the Lost Ark would be without that John Williams music. Like you, you, swap out that one element and do do not just a okay job, but do a bad job, and you've got a completely different movie. But speaking of movies that are completely different, Temple of Doom, completely different from Raiders of the Lost Ark, and we need to talk about it, don't we? That's what we're here for. Yep. So <clears throat> let's do it. You you want to start us out with any? Do you have like a? Overarching hot take on this movie:
1: It's a couple of yanks on the reins and scene swaps away from being a great movie. That's my that's my take.
0: That's your take, yeah.
1: And they sure did lean into this is Han Solo way more than I thought or had remembered.
0: What do you mean? I just mean well?
1: like uh, they got a kick out of blurring the lines between Han Solo and Indiana Jones. In my opinion, hmm. the ways. Even down to like musical cues that seem to be, to to come straight from Star Wars, Cafe Obi Wan, certain sound effects like when uh, he steps into the cockpit and then the plane starts to fail, the engines start to fail, and it makes the same sound or very similar sound to when the hyperdrive fails in the Millennium Falcon. Just a bunch of little things like that that felt like in jokes that this is Han Solo.
0: Well, one thing that I thought in watching this movie is that I think that there's a slight disconnect between the way that the audience probably thought of Indiana Jones coming off of Raiders of the Lost Ark and the way that the creators thought about him. And even the way that we think about him looking back, because most of us, I think, or a lot of us didn't grow up watching Temple of Doom quite as much because it was so dark and violent and not as much fun.
1: Even as a, I mean, even as a kid, if your parents had no hesitations, you had a I think, in, I think, lots of kids just had a natural revulsion.
0: I think for me, even as a young kid, like Raiders of the Lost Ark wasn't as much fun. The one that was really fun was Last, Last Crusade. because it's not bloody, and his dad is super fun, and Marcus yeah. is super funny, and Sola is lovable, and that 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 movie just really works well as a well, kid's movie.
1: Well, it's it's Raiders fan fiction almost, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's just like what's the kids' version of Raiders of the Lost Ark? That's what they did. And that's what made it awesome and clear—the clear favorite for any kid.
0: Yeah, I mean, some of the the jokes as obvious as they see him in retrospect as an adult. You know, they don't get much closer than that. Says Henry Jones, and then the bomb drops really close. (laughs) They do get closer. That was really funny for me as a kid. (laughs) There's just things like that that make that the clear favorite. And you watch that movie, and it's like Indiana Jones is a hero, and he's He's
1: fun. He's yeah, he's gonna. Beat the Nazis. He's gonna,
0: yeah, and and all the sex stuff, which that movie does have some weird sex stuff with the Elsa character, kind of just goes over your head. You got the one Ah Venice scene, and then you have stuff that is just innuendo that that you miss. And so, watching Temple of Doom as an adult, you realize, okay, these guys are thinking yep. of Indiana Jones much more in that mold. They want to put him with another woman. I yep. wanna indicate that he's that he's a womanizer, that he sleeps around, that as as much as George as John Williams bent over backwards to do some romance with Marion, George Lucas was not interested in any kind of Romantic. romance yeah. with Marion. She's just another Indiana gal. He's got him every, everywhere he goes, there's a woman that's probably if he walked into her bar, she'd wanna punch him. Yeah. that's how George Lucas has clearly conceived this character,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and and this is that's who uh, Willie's gonna be. He meets Willie, he's gonna win, and then you know she'll be in a bar singing somewhere, and she'll he'll she'll walk up and throw the champagne glass in his face, or
0: and she'll say Indiana Jones. Somehow, I always knew you'd walk back into my life or my bar, or whatever, yeah, exactly
1: it is. like that. And to Indy, it's just like, yeah, you and a hundred other
0: right. And that's what would have happened to Dr. Schroeder if she hadn't decided to be a Nazi and right. betray him and then reach for the Ark. And even be, being a Nazi, she was pretty close to it. She just needed to let it go, but she didn't. Couldn't let um, it go. She couldn't let it go. I mean, it's one of the things that's blatantly playing to the fans and to the fan fiction and to the idea of the fans have when Marion comes back. Like that's that's the fan that's the fan version. That's... Never what they're thinking in the original trilogy. Now, maybe Spielberg being a nice, softer, older man with kids that have grown up and maybe he wishes
1: from two different marriages. Yeah.
0: Including, I guess it's worth saying most of them. He's married to Kate Capshaw, Willie Scott to to this day. Yeah. And if you watch the little documentary that goes with the temple. I think he
1: actually kids from three different marriages because I think she brought some.
2: Yes. Yes, that's true.
1: So I think he's got a kid or two from a previous marriage. Kate Capshaw has like two kids that he adopted Mm -hmm. and so I think the Spielbergs together have seven kids but two or three of them were sort of like adopted from each other
0: yeah I think that's true and
1: I think they they're properly adopted but yeah. yeah
0: I mean I will say just looking from the outside in Spielberg seems like one of the happier family men in Hollywood at this point in his life. He had those early marriages and things that didn't work out. I'm not trying to say he was above reproach in any of it, but it seems like he settled down and enjoys his married family life now. and his family. And it's affected a lot of his output. I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, he doesn't look back on Temple of Doom fondly, and I don't think he'd he'd want to make it now. Yeah. I mean, he's explicitly said two things about his career. He said, I wouldn't do Temple of Doom again. And he said... If I did Close Encounters, there's no way that guy's getting on the ship and just abandoning his, the whole conceit of this schlub stuck with a boring, stupid family who needs to escape and get on a spaceship (laughs) to get away from it all. That was wrong. Is a conceit that Spielberg, you know, regrets at this point in his life, which is nice to know, I guess. Oh, I was just saying, Indiana Jones, he is clearly played as more of an anti-hero in this movie. Like, he's just going to grab the shish kebab and kill the guy, you know, stuff like that that was kind of implicit in Raiders. He's always been a, yeah. a killer, but he's even more of a killer here, where we're going to pull way back on that in the last two Indiana Jones movies. Like,
3: mm-hmm.
0: it's mostly going to be like, yeah, I pulled the trigger and the gun was more powerful than I thought it was, so it slaughtered 10 Nazis, but, you know, that's not really my deal. Right. Whereas, you know, the first two movie, Indiana Jones pretty gleeful about slaughtering his enemies and then you're gonna have that long scene in the middle with all the innuendo and stuff the really mm. boring scene which i suppose yeah. we'll talk about in its place but you just see Indiana this this indiana jones to me i guess he does feel more i guess th- this is what got me thinking about it you said han solo and it's like yeah he's, he's not just han solo and that they're playing with the iconography but he's han solo and they're playing him as Pre-New Hope Han Solo. He's, yeah. he's a rogue. He's a this womanizer. scoundrel. He's a scoundrel. Yeah. And they're leaning into that more in this one. He's going to grab the woman and hold a knife to her throat and make the right. bad guys give up the diamond. And Which doesn't answer the question of what I thought of this movie. The answer to this question is I don't know that I would say that it's a couple of scenes and rain pulls from being a great movie. I think it is by far the most interesting movie in the series besides well there's a lost arc.
1: None of them play like a manifestation of your every childhood nightmare. It's not one great big scene drawn from the id. Right. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, the, that's what this movie is. Like, yeah.
0: It's really dark and it's really powerful and it's the kind of thing that Gave me nightmares without having even seen it. I think I heard it. I I knew it had the heart scene. I remember hearing about the heart scene before I actually saw the movie. And it kind of lived as a legend. I think I think it got built up so much in just play, playground gossip that by the time I saw it, I was like, okay, well, that was pretty scary, I guess. Mm-hmm. But just the idea of the subterranean world. You were telling me the other day you had pretty explicit, maybe not nightmares directly influenced by this.
3: but
1: uh, No, I think I had these recurring dreams these recurring nightmares where and i always associated them with two movies and they were temple of doom and the goonies mm-hmm. um so the, uh, the obvious link there being
0: short round yep yeah um, obviously yeah the two, you, you jake always dreamed that a short <laughs> cheerful uh, chinese boy was chasing him around and <laughs> trying to kick him <laughs> in a way that would be really devastating and def- definitely make jake fall over.
1: Uh, open his trench coat mm. and
0: have a punching
1: bag pop out and punch me or something. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so I would be in this house, almost like a a haunted house of sorts, and I'd have to get to this room, and I'd be chased. I was being chased, and I'd had to, I'd have to get to this room that led to this tunnel, and there were tunnel slides like in the Goonies, but mm-hmm. it was all really scary and dark, and also sort of mine car chasey. And I, I had the dream so much that eventually I just found ways to shortcut myself. Like like I, in the dream, I remembered the the route to the tunnel or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, the sooner I get to the tunnel, the sooner I can get through this dream, the sooner I can get it over with. But yeah, it was very uh, pit of your stomach thrill kind of nightmare dream sort of thing. And I, I really, as a kid, man, I felt... So much of the horror of, of short round and his, his predicament, Mm -hmm. you know, his father figure turning into a zombie. And so I don't know, I don't know what else there is to say about it, but, but what I want to say is that really felt really resonant and really scary on an existential (laughs) level as a kid that I couldn't, I don't think I quite understood everything that was going on in me, but well, that's
0: almost—that's almost the criticism I want to. It's—it's it's both a compliment and a criticism. What I want to say is that this is maybe not the world's greatest adult movie, but it's a fantastic kids movie. But that—that that no kid should ever watch. In other words, kids yeah. can connect with this as just a journey through the id in a way that's really compelling and really mm-hmm. scary and and perfect. Once you have to sort of. Think about it like an adult thinks about a movie. I don't know that it really stacks up or holds up that well. And the middle sections kind of sags and the MacGuffins kind of weird and blah, 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 everything I'm sure we'll talk about. But just as a journey through a hellish dreamscape, just as Steven Spielberg saying, let me give you nightmares for the next 20 years. Let me yeah. let me provide the iconography for your dreams. Yeah. Which I, you know, who in the 20th century has done that more than Stevens Steven Spielberg. Spielberg? Nobody. It's pretty effective. Yeah. You can, we can argue about whether that's a good thing or not, but it certainly works.
2: John
1: Carpenter.
0: Yeah. I mean, John Carpenter. Well, I have a Carpenter comparison, but we'll get to that. That'll be a, that'll actually be a teaser for later. For huh. Interesting. There's things that Carpenter would have done better. Actually, that's what I'm going to say. Huh. And they're because Carpenter would have been more restrained, but we'll get to that. I guess the only other kind of overarching hot take I want to say is this movie is the only movie that actually feels like a sequel and not a, not a soft reboot or a remake or a, I mean, with Raiders of the Lost Ark being such a perfect movie, I don't really, as an adult, having seen the jokes a million times, need anything else. I don't need, I, I like Last Crusade. I like Sean Connery. He's a very lovable movie, but and it's a good movie and we'll enjoy talking about it, but I don't need that. I certainly don't need Kingdom of the Crystal Cult. Raiders of the Lost Ark did it and it was done. Yeah. Temple of Doom.
1: Was trying to be
0: something different. Was trying to be something Which different.
1: Which is a bold stroke and the kind of bold stroke you have to take when you have such a beloved movie that you're trying to, that's why so many sequels fall flat and they knew that and they took a
0: bold risk and it's the same,
1: it's the same risk that Lucas took in Empire. Yeah, It's just that Empire worked in a way that Temple did not
0: But if you love Empire, you can't be a hypocrite and say, oh, why didn't Temple of Doom? No, he was trying something.
1: And, and it was the same sort of thing. It's, okay, let's go more real. Let's go deeper. Let's go darker. Let's deal with daddy issues. Let's go into the cave, you know?
0: Yeah, and let's interrogate the text, if I can use that dumb academic phrase, of the first one. Let's yeah. ask the questions that we didn't get a chance to ask the first time.
1: Yeah, let's come out of the gate and let's, let's declare coming out of the gate, this is not Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, are we opening up on what we think is a temple, you know, in the wilderness with a dragon? Oh no, it's not. Oh no, but now there's smoke and stuff and red light. Oh no. Oh, we're actually in a, oh, it was a gong. Oh. But it was a gong in a temple where there's now a red light and, oh, no, oh, now it's just showgirls and oh, we're oh. in a cabaret scene like from the 40s.
0: Yeah. You know? And, and then we're going to get to the action and it's going to be so wildly <laughs> over the top that you can only read it as a parody of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Slash
1: any Bond movie. Yeah,
0: Slash any Bond movie. I mean, that yeah. like that raft thing doesn't work for me because it it is like. It's making fun of me for liking Indiana Jones. Yeah. Kind of, you know, like, yeah, he could even survive this. Like, no, actually the guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark is just the luckiest man in the world who survives things that regular people could survive. Yeah. The fact that he survives a million of them is, you know, begs credulity or whatever the phrase is, but. Stretches stretches credulity. Stretches credulity. That's what I'm looking for. Folks, I slept four hours last night. Went to bed at one, woke up at like five or six thought that my wife's alarm was going to go off. It didn't. And it's not just that. It's like the woman is a parody. Like, "Oh, you bought into the romance last time? Well, the jokes on you cuz here's a romance that no one could ever buy into. Oh, you bought into the supernatural stuff last time? Well, the jokes on you cuz we're going to push that so far over the top that it's going to become a parody of itself." So, I don't know. George Lucas has said he was going through a divorce and he was a very angry man at the time. Feels like he takes the anger out on his audience, a little bit to me.
1: Have you read what Lawrence Kasdan said about it?
0: He just said it was a mean. He just said movie it movie, mean- and he didn't want anything to do with it, right?
1: Yeah, he. I mean, Lucas and Spielberg approached him to write, and he just said, "No, this is angry and mean spirited, and I don't want to have anything to do with it."
0: Yeah. Well, we've talked so o- so often on our Star Wars podcast and our Clone Wars stuff, which you can listen to at Patreon.com forward slash Sanity at the Movies for a low low price. George Lucas is a genius who always comes up with oddball ideas and... He needs to be
1: surrounded with great people who are great executors of his fun oddball ideas. Right.
0: And I think what Spielberg... It's interesting to read between the lines when you see them talk about this. Spielberg kind of wants you to get the idea in retrospect that he didn't quite... That he knew it was a bad idea. It was just going along with his friend... I find that a little hard to believe. I think Spielberg yeah. had enough clout and self-awareness. He knew what he was doing and thought this was a good idea. I can believe that they got to the end of it and Spielberg was like, oh, whoa, we made something. We messed this up. A little bit But more if fun. you,
1: yeah, if you read other people talking about it, I forget who it was. Maybe it was Kathleen Kennedy, so maybe she can't be trusted. But they were talking about how, when it got to the gross stuff, whether it was monkey brains and pregnant snakes and or you know bugs and stuff they described Lucas and Spielberg basically as just really geeking out teenage boying and laughing mm-hmm. over it all and seeing if they could outdiscuss each other with their ideas right
0: which i can i could see myself being in that position i mean some, you have you always have to take a step back and realize how this is going to play and sometimes when you're creating something you're having so much fun with the idea of manipulating the audience that you don't actually think, well, okay, how would the audience actually, how are they actually going to feel about this? Like it's fun on a meta level for me to think about grossing them all out, but are they going to like being grossed out or is it just right. fun? Is this, is this a good one for the, is this, is this something to make the writer's room laugh or is this something that will actually make the audience laugh? And yeah, it's not always one to one. A lot of times it can be and you don't want to be a coward about, you know, you want to, well, you uh, want A, a
1: l- ex- lot of times. You know, it is, it just is one-to-one. It is like, hey, if we're not laughing, why should we expect them to laugh? Right. But you've got to ask the why, Mm -hmm. right? Why are we laughing? And that's the place where you get yourself into trouble as a creator is, I'm laughing because the joke's on my audience here, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, I'm laughing because this is actually funny.
0: Well, and I just think, I think they misread their audience a little bit. I think- a sophisticated person who saw Raiders of the Lost Ark already as a work of parody would only enjoy Indiana Jones being that much more of a work of parody. But most people actually had affection for the character of Indiana Jones, saw him as a guy that was fighting the Nazis and doing a great job of it. You know, bum,
1: and, bum. Yeah.
0: Bum, uh, a lot of it really is John Williams. If John Williams had allowed us to have some distance from Indiana Jones and not to feel so roused by how awesome he is, then you could do a lot more with him as kind of a parody character in this pastiche of these kinds of cliches. Yeah, old genre cliches. The fact is, Harrison Ford has such innate empathy, demands of the audience, brings such innate empathy with him, that you just buy this stuff. It plays more sincerely, I think, than they want it to. Like They're trying to make a movie that's a little jokey, and the stuff that's explicitly jokey, like Willie Scott's character, kind of falls flat. And the stuff that's meta-jokey, like some of the violence and stuff, either falls flat or just, just... Feels mean. Feels mean. Why are we ripping this guy's heart out? And and why do we have to see it in such excruciating...
1: Why do we spend so much time doing this? Why are we
0: spending so much time? And and why do we, as you said in a text, which I thought was very well put, why are we mistaking gross-out gags for actual suspense, actual horror, yeah. actual...
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it it, it is the... The thing that I guess a lot of people do fall into, you just don't expect at this point in their careers, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg to fall into it. You know, James Gunn did it with the Guardians movies, right? Like Guardians 1 was clever and smart and funny and fun. Mm -hmm. And Guardians 2 was like all of that, but a thousand times more mean and crass. Yep. Exactly. You know, and Raiders had real jump scares and real horror moments. And, you know, but horror. Yeah, but yeah, they just switched to gross out stuff and that's just not, it's not the same thing.
0: Well, Raiders of the Lost Ark has gross out stuff too, but the gross out stuff is, uh, it's layered in and placed at the right moments in the story.
1: Well, it doesn't feel like it's there to gross you out. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like.
0: That's, that really is the trick that they missed. In, in in Raiders of the Lost Ark, anytime something violent or terrible or gross happens, it you feels feel like it's like,
1: there for its own purpose, inevitable. It's part of the story. Yeah, like oh,
0: this it, is just what would happen. Oh, that right. was the power of God. It melted those people up. Uh, you know, I'm sorry that we had to see that. Yeah, the the movie has to maintain that kind of a distance. And is it ultimately a kind of ironic distance? Like, yeah, we all wanted to see that, but of course, it is. That's the nature of a movie. But when you get, it's to... hilarious that Willie is grossed
1: out by things that everyone in their right mind would be grossed out by. No, it's not hilarious, guys. That is not funny.
0: Right. What's What's more funny? It's not hilarious, but what's at least works on some humorous level is if uh, Willie's
1: grossed out by something that nobody would be grossed out by. Yeah. Or if there was, you know. Well, I was just, just thinking good of suspense. If, if
0: If Alfred Molina <coughs> is really scared of tarantulas, and Indiana Jones is just like. Let me wipe those off for you. Yeah. Like, let's have a moment with some kind of ironic contrast or interesting or something that tells us about the characters. Just, she's scared of billions of creepy bugs. It's like, well, I would never, I mean, if, if that's me in that situation, short round in, in Indy are dead. Right. Like, like that's,
1: I, that, yeah, that's part of the problem is, like, I sympathize with how grossed out she is. Right? Right. And Indy doesn't because Indy's dying. But then you just like create the wrong kind of tension where Indy is mad at me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, and you don't want to feel that. What now? If you want to flip it and have her get caught in a situation full of gross stuff and Indy has to charge
0: into it, not be bothered, but be a little heroic. Mm -hmm. Okay. That works. Like, Yeah. Well, it's an interesting dance that they try and do with the Willie Scott character and Ultimately, I think I like Kate Capshaw, and I think she tries her best with some bad material. I think she's a pretty natural comedian. I think she might be the best actress of the three Indiana Jones babes. She just yeah. doesn't have
1: good material. She
0: doesn't have good material. And it's such a trick with a character like that. If you want us to really enjoy her getting swarmed by bugs, then you can just dial her up even 5% more, make her really hateful so that we're we get catharsis like look at this lady that we all hate well getting bugs all over
1: honestly that is the instant you say that that is what actually the whole trek through the jungle you know whether she's thinks she's pulling her shirt off of a line
0: and it's a or her cardigan or whatever it was and it's a vampire bat or but that scene actually works pretty well In, in that scene it's like the punishment fits the crime. Exactly. She's annoying. She's and been she's...
1: an annoying brat this whole time.
0: And she's being punished in she's a way
1: ungrateful. that- She's ungrateful. Indy's kept her alive, kept her safe. These people are being generous to her. And she's just a spoiled brat. And yeah, the punishment fits the crime. And Indy just sort of like is going to play cards with Short Round and smirk at her and be like, whatever.
0: Yeah, and there we have a point of view from Indy. Like, and then we
1: get to flip it on Indy because you know the one time when she's not scared, she's pulling a boa constrictor and throwing it into the fire because she thinks it's the dumb elephant trunk. And right. That's the one thing that Indy would actually be afraid of. You know, that, but,
0: that's a fun joke. Yeah, that that whole scene is the most successful piece of comic business and the thing. But then you get this whole all this romantic tension crap where. She actually gets some sympathy because she's no more of a jerk in her sexual flirtation than Indiana Jones is, if anything. His aggression and then his weird flip where he suddenly doesn't want to sleep with her all feel pretty.
1: Arbitrary. Pretty
0: arbitrary and lame and stupid and not very suave or cool or James Bond, this guy is not actually. So by that time, it's like, well, she's already been punished way back in act one. And we either need to reestablish that she's horrible and make her so horrible that we just like that we just want those bugs to eat her. Or we need to forget about
1: that and just have her be part of the team from now on. Right. Just like they did with Marion, where Marion was part of the team.
0: Yeah. Right. Like she was Team Indy from the moment they got to Cairo. And that's kind of how these stories are supposed to work. At a certain point, you know, in, in Act Two, the woman is supposed to soften up and like the man yep. and be helpful and be awesome. And when they fall in love, it's. Well,
1: and then. Of course, that's what they were thinking. It They needed to subvert.
0: Yeah, like she really is just a spoiled showgirl. Oh, did you say be.
1: diamonds in the center of the... Like, here we are. We just witnessed uh, a horrific human sacrifice scene where we rip somebody's heart out. Mm. You know, and I'm scared and I'm pulling away and let's get out of here. And, you know, the diamonds inside are illuminated. And they, did you say diamonds? You know, it's like, oh, come on. Like... How much how angry are you at what you perceive to be your, you know, money grubbing How much does ex-wife? Lucas hate, hate his ex wife? Yeah, yeah, and exactly. how much does he just want the whole world to see her as uh and and maybe women mm-hmm. as just shallow money grubbing
0: truths? Well, yeah. I fine, but I mean not fine, but if if you've decided to go that direction, you have to have an angle on it like right. you you have to you have to have a resolution to it. You have to either change her or punish her in a way that solves the problem of her, and they never really do that with this character. They don't really have anywhere to go and you you don't really understand why Indiana Jones would want to kiss her at the end besides just pure animal attraction
3: yep
1: and we've been through trauma together, and that somehow manages to make people lose their reason
0: which is a really standard you know like that stupid jurassic park movie with bryce dallas howard did that trope and everybody made fun of it because it was so lame like chris pratt's the manly man and you know she's kind of a stick in the mud but they're gonna have dinos they're gonna run from dinosaurs together and then at the end they're gonna be in love
1: well let me come back and put a bold claim on the table yes and maybe this will be a good approach act one of this movie minus the raft Everything up until you get inside the actual Temple of Doom is still really great. And I don't care.
0: Maybe one of the best Indiana Jones movies.
1: I think that's what I think. I think it is I think it's the best maybe the best first act of any Indiana Jones movie, which is to say maybe the one of the greatest first acts potentially of any movie ever, if you take away the raft scene and if you can pay it off in acts two and three.
0: I mean, that's a pretty bold claim because actually Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the best openings of any movie, and that's that, and it planted the flag. And
1: Yeah, but as a sequel to that, I don't know that you do better than...
0: Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I agree.
1: I think that Cafe or...
0: Cafe Obi-Wan, I, mean, I think if it's it is. Cafe
1: Obi-Wan. I think Cafe Obi-Wan is great.
0: That That's all smart subversion. I love the song. I love the dance number. I love having Harrison Ford show up in a white tux. Yeah.
1: That's super fun. I,
0: I, I wish, I mean, it's already a little, maybe 2% more jokey. Like, does he actually have to be wearing Humphrey Bogart's dinner jacket? You know, it's just, there's, there are elements that feel a little pastichey. maybe. Like, let's just let this breathe. And uh, we all know the tropes it's playing with. We don't have to put a hat on it. But that's that's just me being a snob because it's... It's great. The whole sequence, the conceit of the poison, the woman going after the diamonds, the man going after the antidote, them all getting mixed up. That's just a great sequence. And I like that it starts... I like that it's something completely different from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Such a different context. Manages to... I mean, the suspense lands, the character moments land, his friend that dies is actually, you know. Kind of sympathetic, yeah. They they tell enough of that story just with his, now I go into the the great adventure first. You get enough there to actually feel like,
1: oh, it'd be fun. They had a relationship, yeah. What's the story of... These guys.
0: And it's fun that they don't explain, I guess they do kind of explain short round, but it's fun that there's all these things that feel like there are loose ends from another Indiana Jones exactly. adventure that we never saw.
1: Yeah, what were the adventures that led up to this moment?
0: That's really fun. Yeah. That's really smart. I like that we have the super villain, you know, one of Indiana Jones's great arch rivals that we never find out anything about yeah. or why.
1: I think that's great. I think everything down to the joke of him getting on Lee Chow's uh, airplane. Yeah. Nice
0: try, Lao Che. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, Lao Che, and then he closes the door and it's like Lao Che air or
0: something mm-hmm. like that. That was pretty good. We should point out your the thing that you caught that I'd never noticed,
2: little Dan, cameo.
1: Dan Aykroyd cameo, and mm-hmm. I think that there are other cameos at that, around that airport that I think like George Lucas is there and I think maybe some other people are there.
2: Yeah, it
0: wouldn't shock me. They like to do that kind of stuff.
1: But yeah, I noticed Dan Aykroyd. It was the first time I'd ever, I think, noticed that it was Dan Aykroyd.
0: Well, he's there. He's center frame. He's talking. He doesn't get a close up. He is doing a British accent. British accent. He's the guy that says he booked Indiana Jones on such and such a flight. Yep. The introduction of Short Round is great. I don't know. I mean, Spielberg is always really good at. But I don't know that you could name in a movie a quicker, more deft execution of we know not we didn't know this character existed and now we know he's and a we, part of the story and we yeah. understand exactly what he's there to do and we really yeah. don't need anything else yeah we're gonna find out that he's a street boy that indeed but blah, 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 blah. actually we didn't we don't even really need that we yeah we, we get can, it
1: we can put it together you know we can figure it out
0: we get the dynamics and that kid who is just some kid that came into audition is fantastic
1: he's uh yeah he's awesome he's super charming and charismatic and
0: well, and the story that they told is that his, they, they, were, they just did an open casting call where they're getting you know different kids that fit the type to come in. And that kid talks his brother into take, going to the audition. His brother comes in and this little twerp is ordering his brother around and telling his brother how to do it and what he needs to do. And that's the producers fun. are just sitting there. It might've actually been Kathleen Kennedy who just it's said, like,
1: that's our man. That's our guy.
0: <laughs> 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 and then they brought him in and had him play with Harrison Ford and, you know, just chemistry him was real. The chemistry there. was the real. They really liked each other. And it's just one of those things. That's super sweet. Yeah.
1: It's yeah. Too- it really feels in some ways, maybe this is going a little far, but in some ways you don't really feel like that kind of magic happens but it feels like a, it feels as much like off-screen magic as anything, like Tom Holland and Robert Downey Jr. Mm. You know, of actually, I just really like this kid. Yeah, and I'm gonna be a father figure to him.
0: I think Spielberg casts for that. I think it's one of his strengths. I think he's he's very empathetic and mm-hmm. he likes people, which is not the same thing that you could say for Stanley Kubrick or for many great directors or Hitchcock. You know, directors yeah. don't always some directors are better at different things. Spielberg, one of the things that makes him so potent is that he's a master technician. He mm-hmm. has all of Hitchcock's skills with a camera and with lenses and with framing and with all this stuff, but he also obviously really likes people and likes kids. Yeah, And you can imagine that he just worked with that kid and got the best out of him and had him improvise and
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Spielberg's the kind of guy there are stories of him you know he'll if he wants to get that look of that that patented look of Spielberg wonder you know he'll there's a story on Close Encounters of him giving a birthday present to Richard Dreyfuss and Richard Dreyfuss opened the birthday present and he was really happy and the The cameras were rolling cameras rolled (laughs) and got that expression and it became you know a moment in the movie so Spielberg's just one of those guys who has the patience and the ability and the the empathy and the will to to just work with people, and yeah. it it just it's hard to think of a Spielberg movie that's miscast or that doesn't have the right kind of chemistry. You know, even something like the girl and the boy in Jurassic Park. You know, part of what makes that movie work is that that yeah. girl feels like she's at exactly the right age to actually have a crush on mm-hmm. Sam Elliott, who plays Doctor Grant, and she probably did. Yeah, and the little boy was nerdy, and you know Spielberg just. Yeah. He, he always gets those things right. And it's not something that you even necessarily think about that much, but he has good chemistry with his people and they have good chemistry with each other.
1: So then let's just skip that abomination of a raft scene. Everything up until then is good, is good. Including the dastardly pilots deciding instead of, you know, taking guns and just shooting the sleeping people.
0: Eh, I don't know that I quite want to give it a pass on that.
1: Well, they were staging a plane crash. Yeah. So it looked natural.
0: I but Lao Che was okay with them just wasting a, the expense of a plane instead of the expense of- And its cargo. Three bullets.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could take three bullets to the head and then throw them out of the plane and uh, over a mountain and, you know, never to be found. This is 1930 something or whatever.
0: After yeah. That. I mean, it's- I know it's one of those things that people like to give a pass to and make fun of. And Austin Powers made fun of it. in James Bond, I've, I've, I'm personally never been a fan of the, I'm a villain and I'm going to put a hero in a situation where he'll be able to escape, you know, where I'm not just going to shoot him and I'm going to put him in a doomsday device. That's going to slowly make a laser come at him or something like that. Like to me, that always breaks the reality of like any villain that's not smart enough to just shoot the hero is, is not a good villain in my book. I don't know. I think it, they could have taken two seconds and just had those guys pull guns and shoot the controls and Indiana Jones could punch them and they could go flying out of the door and then we could have the same scene, but... Minus the raft. Minus the stupid raft. I don't even mind the raft if they just wanted to jump out at a lower altitude so it well, wasn't they, so it, ridiculous.
1: That's actually what I thought is it, it, the first jump was a low altitude. Right. It was a reasonably low altitude. Yeah, that's It fine. was when they went sailing over the cliff and then landed in the water. That was like, oh, come on.
0: And it's not just one moment. It, what what makes me not like something like that is it does, it does just feel like kind of a middle finger to anyone who's ever invested in any of the adventures in the two and a quarter movies yeah. that we watch now. Like, Yeah, we all know this is all BS. It's like, no, actually I was suspending my disbelief until you-
1: Told me that I was stupid for doing that. Right. But then, okay, we're on the lazy river. Now we've got, boom, out of the jungle come, not guys with darts that are going to get us, but people who have problems and need our help.
0: Yeah, and this is where I think you and my, I might diverge a little bit because it sounds like I really like a lot of this first act, and I like, I love the trek to Benkamp Palace or whatever it's called. But yeah. I wish that they'd figured out a way to deliver... There's, there's two things I don't like about the villager scene. Uh, number one, the Willie Scott stuff is so cringe when yep. she's and so unlikable when she's like, when he says, this is more food than they'll see in a week. And she says, here, you have it. Uh, it's just like, there's no coming back for this character. Mm-hmm. I get the bratty female that needs to be tamed by John Wayne, whatever. That's the trope that goes back for a long time. But that's really unlikable yeah. um, and not funny. Anything works if it's funny, you know. If it pays for itself, great. But
1: right, no, I'm I'm with you on that, and I'm also with you on not really being able in that moment to deliver on any kind of real mystique with what. What I think this is what what you're gonna say. If not, th- no matter. It's what I say. Yeah. I, I don't think that they really set up enough uh, mystique and drama around our macguffin the stone
0: yeah it's it's the problem with act moment. two and it's the the problem is written into the movie at this point where it doesn't need to be we need a really clear setup for of what the macguffin is what it stands to do for us why we want it what the stakes well, are for indiana jones it's all there you, I, i'm not going to argue that it's not kind of there
1: and they obviously, from the beginning, felt the need to really bolster it because they knew they had a, just a dumb stone, mm-hmm. and so it's a whole village full of children who are now mining slaves in yeah. the salt mines of Kish- or spice mines of Kashyyyk right.
0: As it happens, but I wish that I wish that the guy had spoken three percent better English, and he had said, "Please, Indiana Jones, we need you to go and save our children from slavery. They're being held." I mean, I, I realize again. You, I, I, I can't argue that it's not all kind of there, and not all basically explicitly there. But the setup of what the arc is, what it does, why it's worth fighting for, who the bad guys are—all of that is so clear.
1: Yeah, and so so well done, and with great musical stings and.
0: And playing on archetypes that we as uh, Western Judeo Christian people they understand. They spend more
1: time establishing something that is intuitive for us to respect. And they do it, yeah, they do a better job explicitly telling us why we should care and be afraid. And this this thing that deep down, the vast majority of their audience already has a tremendous level of respect around than mm-hmm. they do with this uh, stone with three scratch marks on it. What are it. they?
0: The Shakira stones? No, Shakira. Ch- Chakra. Mullah Ram, by the way, his hips don't lie. What are they? Uh, would you say that Mullah Ram? This is the important question of the podcast. Do Mullah Ram's hips lie? Huh.
1: I I am so lost by what you're trying to.
0: <laughs> I call them the Shakira stones. Because, oh, um, Shakira. Okay, I yeah. Get. Great moments in podcasting, folks. <laughs> um, is that what they're called? Are they the Shakira stones? <laughs> no, they're Shankara stones. Shankara. Yeah, that's right. Like what are these things? They protect the village. They're good, they're bad. I couldn't tell you right now.
1: Well, you know, I know uh, the bad Shiva guy gave 3 stones with magic properties to protect
0: yeah, a thing. And then the bad guy wants to dig up the rest of them so that he can there are five. take over the world.
1: Yeah, he'll have the power of the gods or something like
0: that. Yeah, it's all really muddled and not playing with iconography that any of us are familiar with. Yeah, I mean, probably the simplest solution if you're writing the script, if you're if you're doing a rewrite, is you need to save the kids from the power that may or may not be. When did Dragnet come out? Demonic Dragnet, the Dan Aykroyd movie or the TV yes. show? Uh, the Dan Aykroyd movie came out probably around this time. I want to know which was first because Dragnet came out in '87, and Raiders was uh, Raiders was '81, Temple of Doom was '84.
1: Okay. So it makes me wonder if Dragnet is actually just sort of making fun of Temple of Doom.
0: It's been so long since I've seen that Dragnet movie. I barely remember anything about it.
1: Well, they have like this like whole pagan thing. And it's actually, you know, P-A-G-A-N and Tom Hanks has to infiltrate right the cult. They're with- they like wearing, you know, skull skulls on their heads and they're gonna sacrifice a girl and or something like that it's been a long time since i've seen it too
0: two great dan Aykroyd movies temple of doom <laughs> and <laughs> dragnet <laughs> sorry
1: it was a random pull, but i just it's been floating in the back of my mind as either as being
0: connect like well that's what 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 what's actually true is that dan Aykroyd loves the occult and likes to put as much of it into his scripts as he possibly can because he believes that stuff. Dan Eckerd believed in the crystal skulls long before Indiana Jones had to deal with them and <laughs> released his stupid crystal skull vodka, which I think you can still find in liquor stores, a liquor store near you. Anyway, all that to say. Sorry
1: for that excursion? No, no, no. Um, okay, but then even if they fail in the Indian village to set up the problem, we go on this Jungle Trek.
0: The Jungle Trek is awesome. And it's awesome. John Williams is not it out of the park with this score that makes it feel like Lawrence of Arabia or something like that, the David Lean kind of a movie. Yeah.
1: And then they come, as they get near to Pancock Palace, they uncover this like little shrine of where there's been some form of human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And the, you've got like, that's where all the fingers blood are. blood and, and the fingers. Yeah. And the natives get freaked out and start whipping the elephants and running away. Mm. And it's super evocative and
0: Yeah, everything up to that spooky. palace is spooky. The, the giant vampire bats, the giant vampire bats, honey, <laughs> work perfectly. Yeah. That's what we were saying at the beginning. This movie plays as id better than it plays as super ego, whatever they have, opposite of ego, yeah. whatever the opposite of is. Like the story may not make sense and it is a problem that you don't really even know what Indiana Jones's goal is here, but on some kind of deep nightmarish Jungian level, you know, he's walking into the heart of darkness Yeah, and it's pretty spooky.
1: Yeah. It, it, I mean, heart of darkness is apt. It's the same feeling that you get evoked in certain parts of apocalypse now or mm-hmm. when you're reading heart of darkness or, yeah, you know, then that's, re- that's a really cool thing to do.
0: Yeah, it's great. It might be, now that we're talking about it, it's like, it's almost kind of my favorite part of the movie, even though nothing all that exciting happens, but it's just so evocative. and
1: it's It remembers, it's the part of the movie that remembers that tension is what's scary Mm -hmm. and frightening and gives you that thrill, not just being disgrusted by things.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. And once you've been disgrusted, then it's like, where is there to go from there? It's, it's It's maintaining that tension as long as possible. Yeah, I really like that part of the movie. Riding elephants is fun. The cliche of the natives that run off, as as racist as I suppose it is, is always a great cliche for any kind of adventure story. <laughs> now, from
1: this part of the journey, we're on our own.
0: You know, mm-hmm. well, and they were smart. Like, yeah, it's I, I get that it's kind of a racist cliche, but it's also kind of like they live here, they know they better. Know. Yeah, they get it. Like. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you're going to Dracula's castle, mm-hmm. like.
0: Yeah, the Transylvanians aren't cool with that, only a dumb yeah, European the, would. the
1: Transylvanians are looking at Jonathan Harker and saying, are you serious? Like, like, you, you're going, are you really? Like, you should not do that. Mm-hmm. No, you should not do that. And you shouldn't do it alone. Right. Like, this is bad. Don't do, I beg you not to do that. I can't even fully explain to you why, but don't. Right. Like, everything in the movie is saying that, and. Fearless Dr. Jones is taking this brat of a woman and this little ward of his that looks up to him mm-hmm. into the heart of darkness, into all of this danger. That's a great setup for tension. And then we, when we get to that table, if you take away what they think is the comic relief of grossing us out, mm-hmm. a lot of what happens at that table is really great too.
0: No, I like the idea, I mean, we could get bogged down talking about white savior narratives and all this kind of stuff, but if you're okay with them making the movie at all, I really like the idea of the the cynical uh, Oxford educated sort of Indian gentleman that greets them, and yeah. the ominous just that feeling that they they know how to dress up and put on their best put their best foot forward when a white guy comes around. But
1: if you're not here, he's going to be wearing his skull hat and <laughs> right, exactly. sacrificing to demons. <laughs> sacrificing to, to <laughs> demons.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, it just has a little bit of that feeling of, of what a good Indiana Jones film and what any good horror film really should have. You know, it's a, it's psycho, right? Like you could get off the highway and go to any hotel. the uh, the Bates Motel. The Bates Motel. You're, but but it, but it gives you the feeling when you get done with Psycho of, gosh, any hotel that I go by could have something behind closed doors going on. Yeah. And it's, it's that same feeling of they're going to put their best foot forward, but what kind of uncivilized, what, what kind of ancient things are lurking behind this thin veneer of civilization? So, actually, I like that guy. I wish they would have done more with him as a, a villain character. And the prince is fine and…
1: Yeah, he was great until they just turned him into the pagan priest that, yeah, the the prince is super sympathetic, or always was to me as a kid.
0: Yeah, well, again, that's just Spielberg's deft touch with kids and with with actors, like he can do a lot with to make that kid sympathetic just by casting the right kid and mm-hmm. just by making sure that we like him.
1: Or feel bad for him or feel like... He's caught in something.
0: Mm-hmm. So up to this, I guess we should talk about the food. That part's pretty dumb.
1: Can we first talk about where the heck Indy got his uh, tweed and his <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> glasses <laughs> I mean, for that meal?
0: I think, I think I've sort of taught myself not to notice that that because it's one of those things that when I do notice it, I, it does bug me a little bit, Yeah, but I think you just have to accept that Taylor's Follow all your favorite movie heroes around and
1: yeah, it's like, oh, you're here in trash, Dr. Jones. Well, just so happens we have a tailor who can make you comfortable,
0: right? <clears throat> which, I, which I suppose maybe is what the plot conceit is supposed to be. I mean, they certainly had some exotic clothes for what's his face. What he actually probably should have done is just seen Indiana Jones in a you know, a, a, sari, a sari or something, or something, like, something like that. Like that. Yeah. But I mean,
1: they put Willie in yeah something indian, to match her dress kind her of, as a, an indian princess
0: yeah her outfit uh so we got the wonderfully hilarious food scene which i will admit to liking as a 12 year old boy or I, I suppose that scene hit me it correctly you, it's
1: uh, never played for me in my life but maybe that's the difference between us
0: it's pretty stupid i don't like i mean i'm not, I'm not defending it i don't like it i think it's it, you've done so much work to establish these people as credible and threatening and kind of scary. And then we're going to immediately go into the goofiest stereotypes, foreigner stereotypes with this big fat guy with a mustache who's giggling as he eats.
1: Yeah, he's like, oh, yes, delicacy, you know, and then we've got the snake and, oh, it was a pregnant snake. And yeah. Cut it open and all the baby snakes are going to.
0: The chilled monkey brains. Yeah, yeah well, the guy that plays whoever he is the the smoothie the the indian guy what he has said because people have asked him why did you participate in this horribly racist scene about how your culture sucks and eats gross things and he says as it was originally i don't know whether he's just making this up to defend himself but he said as originally conceived the idea was that the indians were having a joke on the white people like we don't actually eat that stuff but we'll roll it out just to make fun of you. Seems too clever by half, and I have a little hard time believing that they that's actually what they did, but who knows? Glad Spielberg and Lucas had fun coming up with it. Oh boy. Then we're going to get to the really exciting dueling bedroom thing, aka the time to go to the bathroom or make popcorn or get some chips or something or play on your phone.
1: Let's pretend that suddenly, although we've hated each other up till now there's sexual tension between us.
0: Spielberg is good at a lot of things. I think when people talk, people used to criticize, you know, before he did Schindler's List and everything, the constant complaint about him was that he was just an adolescent boy. He didn't really understand how to do adult drama and stuff like that. I usually don't really sympathize with those kinds of criticisms. When you see him try to do a smooth Bogart and Bacall or James Bond and one of his ladies kind of love scene, it's like, this guy is just not comfortable with sex. He's not comfortable mm-hmm. with any of this stuff. He does not he does not want to spend time in the bedroom. He doesn't he never watched the boys adventures movies for that kind of stuff. He was bored by it. And George Lucas because he has this idea that his hero has to be James Bond and because he hates women at this point in his life, if I may be so bold, wants to do this and I just don't think Spielberg yeah has any kind of affinity for
1: anything that's happening that kind or of material.
0: That, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of ways that you could make it play. Either you can be as sophisticated as Bogart and Bacall and actually have some good dialogue and some some character stuff to play. Or the way that James Bond would make it work, which I think Spielberg is way too much of a gentleman to do, and I guess we can be thankful, is James Bond would just enter I mean, into just, the seduction with, with us and the, the camera would ogle her body. You know, she'd be bending over or something when he walked in the room. And so we as male audience members would get to live out the fantasy with indiana jones but spielberg and then he
1: would walk up and he would just assert himself and she would crumble
0: right but i, I spielberg is too nice to do something and, like that
1: and or maybe he wants to make fun of that somehow but in a way that's kind of awkward and
0: yeah i mean all the dialogue about like i study nocturnal mating rituals and stuff is so yeah. lame and It's like Roger Moore would be embarrassed by some of this stuff like this is just this is undignified for Indiana Jones and they're going to sort of arbitrarily be about ready to fall into the sack and then Indiana Jones is going to for some idiotic reason say something stupid and for some idiotic reason she's going to take offense instead of roll with
1: it at this point even though she's already made up her mind.
0: Yeah, it's just I don't know why we're criticizing it. I'm sure nobody that (laughs) likes this movie loves this scene even people that like those kinds of scenes wouldn't like the scene. I wouldn't think cause it's not a good scene.
1: Yeah. <sighs> so then Indy goes back and he gets choked out.
0: Oh, wait a second. Like, I just want to compare this scene to the pretty great for adults, at least moment In where, writers. where Marion changes into the dress and tries to get Smacks it on. With his
1: face. With the That's the way to subvert that kind ends. of thing.
0: Like,
3: then
1: he falls asleep.
0: That's Spielberg saying I'm not comfortable with sex and actually neither is Indiana Jones and we're just going to we're just going to find a way to subvert the whole thing. Like yeah, of course we know this is what the place in the movie where this happens, but we're going to do something else. Mm-hmm. And that's what they should have done here one way or another. So Harrison Ford fights the guy, if I'm not mistaken that's no, actually that's not the same guy. Pat Roach, the stuntman, appears in all three movies. He's hmm. the guy that He's the helicopter fight guy. He's the guy in the conveyor belt. And then he had a part in Last Crusade. He fought Indy on the blimp, but they cut it out actually. But huh. Spielberg always liked to use the the same guy for to play the big burly henchman character. Uh so you've got that. You've got the Wait, fight
1: you mean airplane? You said helicopter.
0: Yeah, sorry, the the guy on the tarmac or whatever yeah. that yeah. the guy that gets killed by the propeller. Yep. And then you've got the spike room sequence Mm -hmm. which is pretty good
1: yeah except for the gross bugs
0: you just take out the gross bugs altogether or dial them down well i guess they just wanted to top the rat or not the rats they wanted to top the snakes the snakes i think that's obviously what they're doing is okay fail people expect creepy crawlies what can we do this time fail i think if you're gonna do it you actually need a specific kind of bug probably I'm trying to think how to make it work. Like, if my job is to top the creepy crawlies in Raiders of the Lost Ark, which, by the way, has already done spiders, snakes, well, spiders and snakes, I guess scorpions and scorpion. So, you, just a room full of scorpions. But they're so dangerous that they become more of a problem than just walking through because they'll sting you and you'll die. So are centipedes? Yeah, centipedes. If it was actually just all one kind of bug, that'd be the that'd be the thing. I don't know. I just
1: don't. Yeah, you know, maybe it's just me. I'm the only person in this whole world and who's listening to this, who's just like, you know, it's a little too gross and a little too much for me. But I feel like if it, you know, the thing with the snakes is they were able to clear them out with fire and create a little space for themselves. Mm -hmm. So you could have a little bit of scene of them
0: slithering over each other, but then. The snakes were a threat. They felt like a plot point, not just like a.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And again, that's what we were talking about earlier, which is, do they feel like they're here for any other purpose besides to make me grossed out? Nope.
0: Nope. Well, you, the plot point of her not wanting to save our heroes from the spike trap, I guess, but.
1: Yeah. For what purpose? So we could be more annoyed with her?
0: That's pretty annoying. And that's like a the dumbest bimbo in a James Bond movie would not be so dumb as to set off the trap yeah. again. Yep.
1: Yeah. And then we have this really great thing that makes a whole lot of sense where we had an assassin in Indy's room, but we put her in a room that has a trap door through a bug-ridden dungeon that leads to our satanic ritual. Because mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, that's how I would do it. I would definitely put put my random white woman that had stopped by my palace in the room where she could accidentally discover something like that. Yeah. Maybe they only had two- suites that were available maybe they were renovating the rest of their palace i don't know yeah that's probably it oh we should say when you see the wide shots of the palace that's just a painting that's a matte painting which is kind of cool it's a really good matte painting i I really like the special effects in this movie i like that we're just at the point where cgi is going to take over and about it 10 years this movie's 84 jurassic park's 92 i think so we're peak
1: practical effects
0: we're we're like at the end of practical effects and this is movie's fun because you can sort of always see the seams just a little bit but to me it's just enough to make you love what they're doing like the mine car you know every once in a while you get a shot or something where you think it's where you can see that it's a model but those kinds of things are just enough to remind you that wow they're really making me believe all this stuff And we're not resorting to a bunch of lousy CGI that will actually take me out of it more. So we've gotten to the wonderful, infamous, iconic, satanic ceremony heart removal scene that was directly responsible for Steven Spielberg recommending that the ratings board make a new rating category PG-13. Although I think that this gets an R today. I think...
1: Yeah, no question.
0: There's no way that the... this movie would actually fall under PG-13. What do you think about that? Heart removal scene, Jake.
1: Well, it's pretty iconic. I think basically everything from now to the end needs to be streamlined, though. And we live a long time with this scene. This this middle act
0: sucks, I think. Yeah, it just drags on. Well, here's where I want to compare to John Carpenter a little bit. John Carpenter obviously invented the way that we do slasher movies with Halloween and what he knew is to maintain tension. And one of the ways that you maintain tension is by actually not showing a lot of violence and as iconic as it is and as well done as it is on a special effects technical level. And as much as it's been kind of a fun reference point in my life, I think that the the fact
1: When I was in sixth grade, I did, uh, we had to act out. I don't even remember what it was, how it was like Aztec or Mayan, Mm -hmm. whatever. And I just ripped off that scene.
0: Just ripped a heart out of a
2: victim that was sacrificed.
1: I had a a, a little uh, red sponge ball that I filled with.
0: This is like in a school play or something? No,
1: it was like for like a history class thing.
0: Nice. Well, there you go.
1: That I filled with like red food coloring or fake blood or whatever. And I, ripped it out and squeezed it and dripped it all over the classroom floor. It's awesome. Nice. Ernest Griffin was the victim.
0: Your victim? Yeah. I, you can probably on the internet somewhere if the person hasn't been smart enough to take it down, find a picture of me playing the High Priest of Cali in a play about Amy Carmichael that our Christian school put on. Wow. I am in fact in brownface, which I didn't know any better, so maybe I'll be cancelled. If somebody (laughs) (laughs) digs up this random photograph, (laughs) but yeah, I played, I played the high priest of Cali. We were trafficking in children and Amy Carmichael, the missionary freed my children. And then I came and said, I want to traffic in children, Amy Carmichael. And she said she wouldn't give up the children. And I said, the curse of Cali be upon you all and swished my cape and then left Uh, The stage with the dramatic light light effect or something like that. Wow. It's pretty cool. One of my great villain, early villain performances. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyway, what I was going to say about this scene is it, I've noticed this about myself, actually. If I go and I watch a horror movie or a slasher movie or something like that, when they get to the moment where they show me great violence, you know, where somebody just stabs somebody or head gets cut off, the movie is actually oftentimes no longer suspenseful after that point because it's like, okay, we've seen what they have up their sleeve. We we know exactly how violent this filmmaker is willing to go. And so I can kind of calibrate my expectations and harden my heart a little bit and we're off to the races. And I think that that's a big problem with this particular movie, like to go so violent and so over the top at that point, actually, you could, you know, you could argue like, Well, now that we know what the villains are capable of, we're scared that's what's going to happen to Indiana Jones. But no, we're not. We're never scared in an Indiana Jones movie about what's going to happen to Indiana Jones. We're not scared of what's going to happen to Short Round or Willie. What we are scared of. We don't
1: care if it happens to Willie, Yeah, because
0: they've told us not to care. It would be Short Round would be the only... Right, and they never put him in any serious danger because I guess Spielberg just didn't have the heart. Um, Maybe they cut back on it, actually, when they realized how dark this movie had gone. But it's like what we are scared of in a movie like this is for ourselves what might we be forced to, to see endure. to endure and once we've endured the limit once we've gone that far none of the rest of the violence the is, stakes are all gone the stakes are actually all gone that's what something someone like john carpenter in halloween which is a gore-free movie until the very end knows and that's what raiders of the lost ark actually that's what i was saying earlier about it's very well structured the way the violence hits because the big you know, grisly violence is actually saved for the the very, very end. end. And the other moments of violence are interspersed in a way that makes sense and that builds on each other. But this just like, once you know that this that's what this villain's capable, that he's laughing as he holds a human heart as the guy gets lowered into lava screaming, this hapless victim. It's like, there's nowhere for this villain to go. There's nowhere for this cult to go. There's nowhere for the demonic powers to go we know that demonic powers exist in this universe there's no question that magic is at work there's no question that black magic is there's just nothing if you want to do this kind of bloody special effects spectacle you have to find a way to i think in a movie like this save it until the very end which is of course what raiders of the lost ark and uh, last 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 crusade Crusade did brilliantly and Mm -hmm. i don't know that there's a good plot solution to how you do that but If anyone's heart is going to be snatched out of your body, you can't do it at the early part of act two. It just leaves your movie nowhere to go. And I think this movie takes a long time. It's part of what makes the second act feel sluggish is that you're recovering from that for so long. And there's things that should be suspenseful, like when they're getting the blood poured down their mouths and Indy's being hypnotized, Mm -hmm. that just feel grisly and like they're piling on. Yep. Because we've already seen the ultimate atrocities. And so now it's just like, instead of, oh boy, what are these bad guys capable of? It's like, yeah, that's more of the same from these guys. They're jerks. Yep. And so it's just kind of boring, actually. Yeah.
1: And uh, it only really works in so far as it does play where, where the it is the playground. Yes. Right. Like where it's the existential angst you feel as a child of, you know, the child who should never be watching this movie. Right. Of... What if the bad guys got my dad and turned him into a bad guy, turned him against me, corrupted
0: it? Like Well, the other thing that plays to my theory about the way that a kid would watch this movie is a kid covers his eyes or at least peeks through his fingers. So yeah. a kid actually has the experience of knowing that the bad guys are capable of great evil, but not actually knowing how far the bad guys will yeah. go, yeah. which plays to the kid much better than just seeing this cackling maniac-
1: yeah, which in fact is much of how I watched this movie, because I remember like there were lots of there were lots of movies that I watched as a kid that just my parents didn't really have any qualms about, or if they did, you know, like with 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 this one in particular, maybe they would you know send me to bed or whatever for now we're in the temple, mm-hmm. but you know. I'd come out, I'd lay on the couch, I'd whatever. And I would, it was just like a, it it was like the peek through the fingers way of watching this movie. Yeah. You know, all that say, it only really does track when it is just simply through that nightmare horror eyes of a little child, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of that. No, it just doesn't work what they should have done. Is I mean the obvious thing to do, and there's a good version of this, and it's the good version of this has been done many times, is actually this is our Oxford educated man's what we all think, what Indy thinks, what we all know to be true is that the Oxford educated guy who got out of this culture came back and figured out how to exploit Mm -hmm. this to, you know, to create, you know, these diamond mines or whatever mines you know, precious gems mines and you have slave labor and use this cult or whatever, and then boom, surprise at the end. Actually it was demonic the whole time or actually I
0: mean the easiest Kali, cheapest Kali, Kali way, right?
1: actually comes out and devours. Yeah, you shouldn't have with you shouldn't have pretended. Yeah. You know, like what you know, uh the last battle. Like Tash comes out yep. and devours all the pretenders who had been invoking it. You called on Tash, you shouldn't have called on Tash.
0: Which Indiana Jones sort of Lamely tries to do that at the very at the very end of this movie. Something.
1: Well, he just like, yells out like, "Go see Kali in hell." <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If this if the heart trick turned out to be theatrics on the bad guys' part, if that was a plot point, that would actually be a pretty good plot point, I think.
1: You know, and they probably had the thought of you know we can't have Indy always be surprised that the supernatural is actually at play here. But they also made this a freaking prequel on purpose. Like, they set the year Mm -hmm. prior to Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, if anything, he should be more surprised by...
0: And by the way, I'm fine if he's surprised every time. Yeah. I mean, who cares? (laughs) Yeah, you should vary some other things, but let him always approach cynically, which is what a good archaeologist, I guess, should do. And then let him...
1: Be surprised or be surprised to find that he's actually a believer.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the trick of these movies. The reason Indiana Jones wins is because he's always a believer. It's He's never actually a cynic at heart.
1: No, he just plays the cynic's role until such time as he's confronted with the hard realities of what's in front of him.
0: Yep. Well, in any case, we have a long slog of a middle act of this movie where they're getting enslaved and... There's just, there's not even a lot of action. I mean, it really no. is just, you got to watch the bad guy rant and you got to go watch Indiana Jones get whipped and Short Round be sad and Willie be screechy. It's just, it's really unpleasant. Yep. It's it's just, it's not, it really brings this movie down.
1: It's really not until we're on the uh, conveyor belt and Short Round is fighting with the prince, the Maharaja, and Indy's fighting with the dude, you know, while being pricked with his with the voodoo doll Mm -hmm. that's not until then we just we don't pick back up again no but that that seems a lot of fun and then leads into the mine car chase which is great which is awesome
0: but even when indiana jones has been redeemed and his you know the torch over his heart and everything like what i think you're saying we don't actually pick up then you know in a conventional movie it'd be like indiana jones is back but this movie has burned enough of our goodwill, has abused our trust with this grotesquely violent scene and then a series of just grisly mean series where even when the movie makes the turn, it takes us a little while to emotionally well, yeah, I think follow that's
1: it. Exactly right. And Williams, for better or worse, either knows that or is in on that decision mm-hmm. because he he's not going to give us that like, Rousing Indy's back. Dumpa dump bum bum ba dum. You know, nope. kind of we're not going there.
0: No, we're in the Temple of Doom.
1: Yeah. You don't get that music unless you're in broad daylight and wearing the hat and got a smirk on your
0: face. Like I, I will say while we're talking about it, Williams male choral demon music is pretty great.
1: Yeah, very uh pre duel of the fates.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he knows how to do that kind of stuff really yeah. well it adds yeah. a lot to if there's anything that's fun about the heart scene and all that stuff that kind of surrounds it it's john williams is just having a blast yeah obviously doing it uh but then we get to i, I guess we're up to the conveyor belt fight yeah And all that i stuff. love the conveyor belt fight that's yeah, pretty fun the story on that one is that harrison ford when he flipped the guy harrison ford herniated his back on just by riding the elephant which apparently riding elephants is no fun and the elephant's shoulder muscle just jostles you and it looks or
1: like f- elephants before
0: it was a f- fun
1: well i was a kid and it was just around a little set the circus
0: yeah okay well dear to, to hear harrison ford tell it if you have to do it for a day or something it's not pretty taxing it's pretty taxing and it was, it was bad enough on his back that he managed to when he flips the guy in the fight in the room the guy that gets hung he threw out his back so badly that he was out of commission for Several weeks went to went back to LA. Got some kind of papaya enzyme treatment. This real controversial treatment, which ended up fixing it actually. And Harrison Ford's back has been better ever since that. But he like herniated a disc, or I don't know exactly what he did. But Harrison Ford was out of commission for three or four weeks, and so Spielberg just had fun getting Harrison Ford's stunt double and just making up and extending that fight. And so that whole fight, anytime. Sorry if this
3: uh, ruins the the
0: magic for anybody, but guess what? It's always a stunt double all the time in these movies. (laughs) 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 It's, It's all just a fight that they made up to play for time while Harrison Ford was recovering.
1: Might as well have some fun.
0: Yeah. And Harrison Ford has a great stunt double. And so they just came up with this elaborate sequence. And then when Harrison Ford came back, they plugged in the five shots of his face. But a lot of it, if you'll notice it is his back and his, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun sequence.
1: And then that leads up to the mind card. And
0: then chase. that leads up to the mind card chase, which is great. Yeah, Absolutely great. Spielberg is a master of action scenes and of coming up chase with... Chase scenes. Yeah, chase scenes and he just likes I to... Mean,
1: honestly, chase scenes. If you just think of how many great Spielberg action scenes are actually chase scenes mm-hmm. of, in one form or another.
0: Yeah. I mean, he can do it all. You know, I mean, he can do the suspense of the raptors prowling around the kitchen or the... Right. He can do all kinds of things, but chase scenes in particular he seems to relish coming up with different gags and ideas and Mm -hmm. things that could happen like what are all the possible variations of different exciting things that could happen with this basic scenario let's exhaust everything let's make it hard for someone else to do a roller coaster fight or a mine car scene again because Mm -hmm. we are going to exhaust the possibilities of what could be done including having characters jump from one to one, having short round torn in between them, having like, it's just. The break is going to break. Oh, the track is out. It's going to have to jump. They're going to be behind. They're going to be in front. The oh, bad we're going
1: to have the log, you know, dragging, you know. Oh, it's going to flip. Oh, here comes another car to replace that one because we needed to end one one way and another another way.
0: It's Pretty great. I would say I would place it third in the great, second act closer action scenes of indiana jones movies obviously i would go truck chase tank chase mine car chase i think mine car chase only loses points because it's a little bit more of a special effects scene than it is a stunt and vehicle coordination scene and then we get the the ending with the water and the rope bridge and i mean it's fine i guess it just really makes you admire the construction of Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah. because they knew well enough. They knew and and Last Crusade just ripping off Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like we can't just cap our action movie with another action scene. We have to have something else, and so we'll save our light show and our big gory set piece for the very end. Which is again, what if they wanted to do a gory set piece? That's
2: where they should have done that's it.
0: That's how they should have done it. It's just like I said with the heart. Once you rip the heart out, you got nowhere to go with the violence. Once you do a mine car chase, you got nowhere to go. With the action. action. Like a rope bridge just, it's great. It's a good scene. And in any other movie, it's a great, if that's your opener, if that's your, you know. If that's your act two thing. Yeah, great. But it's not really a worthy conclusion for. An Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, and then,
1: oh, then let's have the British come out and yeah. sh- shoot up the, the rest of everybody else. And
0: If you're worried about any kind of uh, post-colonial theory considerations, then we'll just go ahead and make it explicit for yeah. you. Yeah, Not only is Indiana Jones a white savior, but he's going to be saved by other white saviors who are going to shoot all the brown people who are trying to attack us. So yep, that'll be cool. And there's no real logic. I mean, what does happen? With the stones, can you explain it to me? Because I'm not sure. The stones turn against the bad guy because he misused them. They, they, they get really hot because Indiana Jones invoked the spirit of Kali and then the guy can't hold on to them and he falls to his death. Like what?
1: Yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to tell. Like When they put them together in the temple, they lit up.
0: And was that what enabled the bad guy to rip the guy's heart out and all that stuff? Or was it, it he just happened to have, have, have his been, own uh, independent black magic going? I, I don't know.
1: I don't really understand, but he's had those stones in his satchel this whole time and they've not glowed enough to be seen or maybe they've been glowing this whole time and it just now caught fire.
0: I mean, what I've always always Mm -hmm. assumed is the stones didn't like the bad guy and reacted against him for some reason, but.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I've assumed that maybe, you know,
0: evoking Kali did it. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, these aren't as nitpicks, folks, though, because if you actually understood this stuff, then you would care and it would mean something, and this whole plot would feel like less of a slog.
1: Everybody knows that the reason the bad guys died and the reason that Indy didn't at the end of Raiders is because Indy respected the power of God. Mm -hmm.
0: And the the bad guys wanted to look at what was forbidden.
1: Yeah, so they looked and they thought it was for them, and Indy and Marion close their eyes. We all understand what's going on there and what's being communicated about that. We all understand
0: the right grail will bring you life, the false one will take it from you. And this is the cup of a carpenter, and and the jerk is gonna choose an ornate one because that's what a rich, power-hungry jerk would do. Would do and
1: imagine, and he it's for himself. And Indy's not even. And he's risking his own death in order to save his father when he takes a sip of the grail. We all understand the honorable intentions versus the dishonorable ones and how it all works together and is a part of grail lore.
0: And we get on an intuitive level, the bad guy who is willing to roll, to betray and kill and murder and do all these things for eternal life is going to get eternal death. Yep. And the hero is going to get life. And so... We don't need someone to explain to us that the false grail will kill you. We just, we see what happens to him. And it, I mean, it, it is explained to us, but the explanation is in some sense superfluous because we understand right. what happens to bad guys and what happens to good guys and why. But with these stones and with this bad guy, we don't really know like.
1: Yeah. What's, what's going on here? What's
0: the deal and why? And what Why, it why do
1: these stones, why can these stones be used to, you know, in this demonic ritual but also they bless everyone who has them with food and water and their cows are doing well
0: and what is it about indiana jones what is it that's intrinsic to him that makes him be the one who can wield them rightly and what is it that's about it,
1: it, Is it, and is are we sure that that's even what's happening that he's actually wielding them
0: are we sure that anyone
1: is we actually wielding, like what is actually happening? Did,
0: did Indiana here? Jones did so, do something? Did a good power intervene? <clears throat> did no power intervene and the stones just did what the stones do? Did the stones do nothing,
1: in fact? Is there some scientific explanation for why these stones glow when they're together?
0: I mean, it really could just be the bad guy has black magic and Indiana Jones made him hold on to a hot rock and it made him fall. Yep. We don't know. And that's bad writing and that's bad storytelling and that causes you to not emotionally invest like you do in a really good movie. Same problem with Indiana Jones 4, by the way. The I was gonna say the same thing. The even numbered Indiana Jones movies tend to have really convoluted.
1: Hey, which means that we're in for a treat.
0: Yeah, I sure hope so. I would kind of love it. I, I mean, like I...
1: the I like the theory that it's only the even ones that are bad.
0: Only the even ones that are bad. That is And all of the odd numbered ones are
1: fantastic.
0: That is of course the opposite for Star Trek movies. <coughs> Wrath of Khan is good undiscovered country is good voyage home is good motion picture search for spock and star trek five the one where they blow up god is really stupid do you know what doesn't
1: follow any logic whatsoever what's that star wars
0: nope the yeah there's no logic to be had maybe the first one of a trilogy is always okay the second one of a trilogy is always interesting is it though (laughs) and the third one can (laughs) suck Uh, (laughs)
1: Or be great, depending. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's my stab at it. Because in the prequels, Revenge of the Sith is the clear winner. Revenge of the Sith is the clear winner. Phantom Menace has its defenders.
1: And Attack ain't of the Clones got no defenders. Defending Attack of the Clones, mm-hmm. even as being interesting.
0: Nope. as you put it, it's yeah. Well, it's interestingly bad, I guess. Would be is, the it, it, Are you...
1: is it interestingly bad? Maybe
0: Indiana Jones movies and prequel movies have bad second acts, but we've argued that Temple. I don't know. I guess we've talked through it. We should sum up our thoughts on Temple of Doom and then we can decide where to put it. There's nothing else to talk about. Indiana Jones gets the girl. Yep. Nobody cares. Short round laughs. The as, children are saved. That's a nice touch. I wish that I wish that we had known that Indiana Jones was definitely going to save the children. Like that's one of the things when Indiana Jones punches out the slaver. That's a cool moment. But you're actually, the way the, movie, the movie's The movie been so muddled and it's set up and so kind of dark and dank and dismal that you're not even sure whether Indiana Jones is going to save these kids.
1: Oh, I don't, I don't know that that's true. I feel like the movie does a fair job communicating that whatever Indy's motivations were before, here, here's the case. Indy's there, he's going to steal the stones or whatever. Then he hears the screams. Mm-hmm. And he goes and he sees the kids being... And he's so overcome that he does the dumbest thing possible, which is, yeah, he sees all these kids being whipped, and he just takes a rock and he throws it at one of the slavers, and right. then he smirks like he's done a great thing, and then he realizes, oh crap! Now everybody knows I'm here, and they're all coming for me. Mm-hmm. But it has that moment. I've been overwhelmed with compassion for these children, and therefore I have thoughtlessly put myself in danger on the on their behalf. That to me is almost, I think that's something that George, that's a very George Lucas sort of thing. Mm. Like, and you'll see this in clone wars where when it comes to slaves and slave children and slaves in minds, Lucas loves to play with that and loves to have heroes be in scenarios where they can't help themselves and they're going to screw themselves and everybody else over because they can't abide the thought of people being in that kind of situation. I don't know. I'm trying to not spoil some things, but. Well, I agree. And encourage our listeners to go to patreon.com forward slash sanity sanity at the the movies. movies. And
0: here's talk every week about clone wars. We're going through it episode by episode, having a lot of fun and check it out. Also, we will be, we did decide to do a duel of the fates read through. And that is, I think at this available now on patreon.com. And when you hear this, Forward slash sanity at the movies. That was a lot of fun. That was do. a lot of fun. We had our friend Ben Solzer of Sanity fame and this show fame, and lots of things come in, and we. I think we all would have loved to read the script, so we had a good excuse to read it out loud for the very first time. Yeah, and we we read it dramatically. We as
1: dramatically as we could, having not read it before. Yeah, yeah, we didn't. I'm not, I'm we not had no pretend. idea what was going on. It's
0: not like a great performance. We we had a lot of fun doing the voices and just having fun with it, and uh, encourage you to go check that out. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It's kind of like what I said about the exposition at the beginning. It's all there. I just think it could have been clearer, cleaner, and more emotionally resonant. I mean, as dumb as it is, you sort of need the trailer moment where Indiana Jones says, Shorty, this isn't about the stones anymore. It's right. about saving the children. Set up the third act that way, and we're cheering quite a bit more than we are when it's like, well, he's escaping. That's that's good, I guess. And the kids are, you know, it's like, just tell us explicitly that that's his mission. I don't know. I guess there's an argument for doing it subtly, but this movie has-
1: and And then you can actually have him, we've already done such a good job in the previous movie. And with a little bit more work here, you know, if these stones are really important things that belong in a museum and he actually doesn't have any intention of returning them to this superstitious village Mm -hmm. let's let's go there but then let's have him have to make a choice yeah between saving the stones for posterity or saving the children
0: right and let's have the stones have a very clear relationship to the children the stones existence keeps the children in bondage or the stones are the thing that can help the children not be in bondage or
1: or simply the stones are i mean even if the stones were just the obstacle.
0: The thing that the villain wants. and the, Yeah.
1: And the thing that's in the middle. Right. That has to be overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, let's let them have power for evil. And he's going to let the bad guys get it so that the kids can go free. Or y- anything like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the classic ending that you would think would happen. Oh, I got to let the bad guys get it so the kids can go free. And then the bad guys get it. And they and realize. it turns on and them. It, yeah. Oh, no. We... Yeah found put all the stones together and the we're thing all that we thought would happen did not happen. Yep. We've been hoisted on our own petard cuz that's what happens to bad guys. Yep. I guess they just didn't want to do Raiders of the Lost Ark all again, all over again, but I don't know. There's a place to break away, there's a place to follow convention. And this movie could have used a few more anchor points of
1: Yeah, or you know, if you think it's funny to have the British colonialists show up and you want to subvert it, Okay, this time let's see what let's have Indy hands over the stones. He gets the children out of there in the process. They start the the ritual and before they can complete the ritual, the British cavalry shows up and just starts popping them to pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And then and then they, you know, some guy says, "Jolly good chap, what shall we do with these stones?" and then, you know, and it ends up in a box in a warehouse somewhere. Yeah you know, along with a whole bunch of other relics that the British are too stupid to understand the value of, but you know, they're gonna export them to Mother England anyway. And
0: that's a good that's a good kind of running gag that they could do is every time he has the object in his sight and and then it just ends up being
1: tucked away in some stupid storage bin somewhere by idiots who don't know Don't understand the power in the first movie it's the American CIA, so why not be, you know,
0: the stuffy British. The stuffy Brits in the second one. Yep. That's
1: a fun joke. Exactly.
0: Well, a lot of ways that this movie it could have ended. A lot of ways that it could have gone. Uh, I don't know. Final Temple of Doom thoughts. Where do you want to put it? Uh, n- three out of four. Three out of four. Jones movies. Jones movies. So I don't
1: know. We, ha- we have to watch Crusade and maybe it'll...
0: I had watched Crusade just for fun maybe half a year ago. And when I watched it, it made me think how wonderful temple of doom was because what i saw you know is one of the first times i'd watched it in a long long time how it's, much of a retread it was how much of a retread it was how relatively bloodless and it was not not that it so didn't at least
1: temple violence. of doom's trying to do something interesting
0: yeah temple of doom may fail in a lot of ways but it really is a sequel that's trying to do something interesting and that has to be commended i mean especially in a world where you have men in black to ghostbusters to Jurassic Park Part Two, another bad Spielberg sequel. Movies that really do just do the same thing. Yeah. anytime you, anytime you can find a way to actually subvert the formula, mix it up, and give the audience something new. Yeah. Is pretty smart. And Temple of Doom is on the short list. You've got Aliens, which is the sequel to Alien, and that's a fun movie cause, Terminator. Yeah, Terminator Two. Those are both. Those are some of the best sequels because they. They change up the genre. The first alien movie is a claustrophobic. There's an alien in on our dark, scary ship movie. The second aliens movie is a war movie where they're fighting all kinds of aliens. And so it keeps some of the stuff that we like, but it swaps it up. Terminator 1, Arnold Schwarzenegger's going to get you. Terminator 2, Arnold Schwarzenegger's is going to protect you from the guy that's... Even more scary. Even more scary and cool than Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, that's not enough of a difference. So... You know, it's always the trick making sequels. What I really wish is that they this hadn't dampened Spielberg's enthusiasm for trying new things with the series. I would have loved. I I know Lucas really wanted number three to be a haunted house movie, and he wanted number four to be age appropriate, Harrison Ford being in the fifties, and to make it into a UFO kind of Cold War war. That would have been fun. That would have been fun. And in both cases, Spielberg split the tried to split the difference with him. They did their kind of haunted house pastiche in the Scottish castle where Connery's being kept by the Nazis. I guess that was Mm -hmm. their compromise on that. And then obviously they did do some kind of Cold War paranoia, alien invasion kind of stuff in Crystal Skull. But both of those movies will have to also basically exist as Raiders of the Lost Ark retreads. And that's too bad. It would be more fun to see Indiana Jones. in. I really like the idea, which no one's ever done properly since the series didn't pan out the way lucas i think envisioned it of a pulp hero that skips from genre to genre and does all the pulp tropes and he's always the same guy and he's always after the same things and we're always we're always gonna have chase sequences and the supernatural Mm -hmm. but we're gonna jump genres i just think that that's really fun
1: if george lucas had hired writers for the prequels we live in such a different world Talking about this just makes me sad. And mm-hmm. it makes me think Lucas had so many great ideas for so many things that got frustrated at every possible turn. And it's because at some point the world decided that George Lucas was stupid and a joke. Mm-hmm. And what moment was that if you're gonna put your finger on it, it? I mean, I guess you could put your finger on Howard the Duck, but <laughs> but but really it was the prequels. Like People were ready to forgive him Howard the Duck But the prequels were what made the world turn on George Lucas.
0: Yeah, I think they forgave him Temple of Doom because Spielberg came back with the ultra family friendly Last Crusade. And I think people forget, I think people actually were ready to forgive Phantom Menace. But Attack of the Clones, if you want to hear the moment when everyone's trust in George Lucas died, sand. Yeah, (laughs)
2: exactly. (laughs) I hate
0: sand, (laughs) which is all this movie is sand. Yep. And interestingly enough, I was just reading, Lucas tried to get Spielberg to direct those prequels, which, I mean, he was shooting a little high there. You didn't need to get your friend Steve to do the prequels, but.
1: No, but you did need to get Kasdan or somebody. Yeah, he just needed a date. He needed a screenwriter.
0: And it's the same thing with, I mean, I wish Kasdan would have signed on for temple of doom because it's not that you can't wrangle this material into something that's good and it's not that you can't do everything that george wants and it's not that they're bad ideas going darker is a good idea doing a impregnable fortress movie instead of a globe trotting adventure movie is a good idea doing the satanic cult if you do it right can be really fun like all these ideas are good ideas you just need somebody with taste to execute them execute them and george lucas doesn't have taste he has He's a creative visionary. I mean, I really think you can use those hackneyed words for him. He just doesn't know when to stop. And he doesn't have a good sense of dialogue, character, or narrative structure. And, that's, and he doesn't have to. He just needs to be the idea guy. That makes me sad. If George Lucas had written those prequels, and then, or if he'd gotten somebody else to write them, and just been the idea guy, like what they did with Clone Wars, which is pretty great. Yeah, I mean, great on, honest, best. honestly,
1: if what I wish would have happened... Is that he just lives in the world of cartoons and cultivated his team, mm-hmm. and then came back to the world of live-action movies with with the team that he had cultivated with cartoons. That Clone Wars team mm-hmm. could have knocked the prequels out of the park. And Lucas, like he is- just he just took a bunch of underrated people that nobody cared about. and he went into a genre that nobody cared about, and he built a team of people that got really good at executing his vision, and he could walk into the room, and he could say, actually, Darth Maul's alive, and actually, I want to do this and that and the other thing, and then he could walk out, and then they could do it, and then he could be happy, and they could do it better than he
0: ever could. Like, and I think Lucas is probably, you know, like anybody, he's a he's a good reviser. Like, there's ideas that you can see him changing for Clone Wars. Yeah. You know, we're going to make the Trade Federation a little less blatantly evil and a little bit more into war profiteers. Just things like that or character yeah. things. Who is Mace Window? You can see George Lucas finding good ideas. The problem is that he just never had a playground that was out of the public eye. Right. Where he could make...
1: Where he could develop and cultivate those ideas. And develop trust with a team that he felt actually would serve his ideas and would execute his ideas in a way that he could be happy with. Like that's why he did those prequels himself was he felt like he couldn't trust anybody to not try to make him into something else. Yeah. And I'm all for, like I would be all for the, George Lucas to be brought back in by Disney and put made the head of Lucasfilm again with John Favreau and Dave Filoni as his sub team. Mm-hmm. That would be the most exciting of all possible worlds. Like Lucas is going to have creative dumb ideas, and Filoni and Favreau are going to. I don't think
0: Favreau's ego would allow that, but I don't know. That'd be fun. And, and by the way. If they want to keep Kathleen Kennedy on as their girl Friday, which is how she, what she, the position she served for S- Spielberg for 25 years, 30 years, yeah. whatever it was. Great. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? She was obviously very good at that job. That's why she got bumped <laughs> into this job that she's terrible I'm, at. Yeah. But I was just, I was watching some of the Temple of Doom, you know, behind the scenes stuff. And you've got Kathleen Kennedy talking about, you know, her role in helping cast uh, the kid and stuff like that. And was like, oh. Okay, I see why everybody loves Kathleen Kennedy. Like, it's important to remember as much as she's, like, the villain of nerd narrative now. Mm -hmm. Like, she was the woman with the clipboard that got Stephen's job done for 30 years or whatever it was. And and George Lucas's job, too. We can't
1: completely demonize her if we want to lionize Lucas and Spielberg.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, she had her place. She was elevated beyond her station, Jake. And... That's what happens. (sighs) Uh, Okay. Yeah. I'll give Indiana Jones, I'll give it, I'll give Raiders of the Lost Ark four whips for something I'm punishing it. I'll give it four (laughs) (laughs) fedoras, four fedoras for vision and maybe two and a half for execution. I agree with you that the opening sequence is some of the best Indiana Jones. Yeah. And there's, Some of the really good Indiana Jones in the middle there with the mine car and everything. Yeah, but it is kind of a boring movie when you put it all together. uh, At least that middle section.
1: Yeah, I guess I just want to. I just wish we would have gotten Cafe Obi Wan, the Jungle
0: Trek, and the mine car chase
1: in a completely different movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, and and Short Round and
1: yeah. And even there's a good version of Willie out there played by Kate Capshaw.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think that I don't I really don't think this movie is Kate Capshaw's fault. The character is is unplayable. She's written poorly and Kate Capshaw does some funny stuff. Actually, her delivery of certain things is, you know, and I'm losing my voice. Uh, uh, she's, <laughs> she, she does everything that she can with that ridiculously stupid character. And Steven Spielberg obviously thought that she had the goods cuz he, he married, married her. her. Yep.
1: And well, he married her like 7 years after this movie or something like that. Something so like that, yeah. People probably shouldn't get the idea that he immediately swept her off her feet and and then ditched his wife for her.
0: No, no, I don't think um I don't think he was married when he married her for what that's worth. He I I had the documentary on yesterday and Spielberg at the end has this really dorky grin on his face and says like really even though i don't like the movie the good thing that happened was kate cabshaw and then he smiles and kind of looks at the ground and says even though indiana jones got the girl really i did and meredith was sitting there and she said you dork in an affectionate way so it made me like steven spielberg and and george lucas actually meredith kept walking in and out and she would stop on spielberg and lucas and say oh they're dorks. Like. She'd say, are like. Yeah, she, first she figured out who they were, and then her comment was, they're dorks. And then her third visit through the room was, I like them, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so, Because she likes dorks. She likes dorks, yeah. Antisocial dorks. Who knew? Yeah, well, go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. Listen to our Duel of the Fates read through, all two parts of it with Benjamin Sulzer and get us up to 250 so we can do this kind of an expose and go into this kind of detail about what Jake
1: Richard Donner's Superman and Tim Burton's Batman
0: yep and we'll throw in Richard Donner's Superman part two or no Richard Lester's Superman part well
1: we'll do actually. all the Superman and Batman movies
0: yes uh all the original
1: yeah all the Burton into I think we'll do Burton into what's his face
0: we're actually gonna do Kilmer and Clooney
1: I think we should probably.
0: Yeah, if you uh, want us to do it, folks, we'll do it. I mean, you guys gotta let us know if you want to punish us with <laughs> Batman and Robin. <laughs> do you see the? Uh, they've been
1: pushing Warner Brothers to do the uh, uh, original cut of uh, Batman Forever, hmm. which there's all kinds of stuff about that movie as it was originally shot that I didn't know. Batman Val Kilmer is Batman versus the Man Bat.
0: Hmm. I guess and, I did see a little something like that about yeah. that. Huh, interesting.
1: He just died. Not Val Kilmer, but uh, uh, Joel Schumacher, yeah. Joel Schumacher, yes. They went through the Schumacher cut. Huh. And there's some rumbling that maybe they'll get it, like maybe Warner Brothers and HBO's shtick is gonna be like you Just tell us what you want, cut. nerds. Yeah, tell us what you want, nerds. We'll give it to you on streaming. Kind of a dangerous precedent. Yeah. But, I mean, they've never been terribly smart about what they
0: <laughs> No. <laughs> Well, in any in any case, folks, we will definitely do Donner's Superman. I think we'll definitely do Donner's Superman, Superman 2, two for sure, and yeah. Lester's Superman two because you can't really just talk about one or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will definitely do the two Burton Batman movies, and we'll get if if you really want us to talk about Superman three with uh, Richard Pryor, if you really want us to talk about Superman four, the Quest for Peace with the Sun Guy, yeah, then I suppose. We only live to serve.
1: We only live to serve. We need to talk about Superman fighting evil Superman and getting drunk in the bar, and we need to talk about the Sun Dude and.
0: Apparently, fun fact about me: I've seen Superman for the Quest for Peace, which is a horrible Superman movie. I too
1: have seen Superman for a Quest for Peace.
0: Well, there's more to that sentence. Actually, I've seen it way more than I've seen any of the other Superman movies. Oh. For some reason, like, I don't know if we had the v- VHS growing up or something, but I have seen Superman for the quest for peace a lot. Wow. And it was unfortunate because it's actually, I think I was so young that I actually thought it was pretty cool. The sun, the sun guy. Yeah. And Superman defeats him by waiting for an eclipse or something like yeah. that. Is that what it is?
1: Yeah. It takes him to outer space into the dark side of the moon, maybe.
0: Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. And then throws him into the sun. Yeah, for all the hullabaloo that we made about Zack Snyder's Superman killing Zod, the original Superman killed Zod <laughs> and killed that guy, and in both cases <laughs> he completely depowered them, had them and on the ropes, had them at completely a hundred percent at his mercy, and then chose to use lethal force against them. It, yeah, that that happened. Lois Lane killed. Uh, what's her face? Uh, yeah, Mrs. Zod's, Zod. Yeah. Be that as it may, folks, thanks for listening. At least the
1: other dude killed himself by-
0: Did he just jump in there? He just jumped into the chasm as he went to take off for flight. Well, actually, I think in the Donner cut, maybe they don't die. They just end up in the, the prism realm. Probably oh, get or sent something.
1: back to the phantom realm or Yeah, whatever. something.
0: I, I think maybe actually- Phantom it, zone. It wasn't exactly intended to be explicit that they died. It just after Lester came in and did his cut, it felt like they died. Because they got punched into a giant abyss, which most people don't survive after having their powers taken away, which doesn't help with survival rate when being punched into a giant abyss. Mm
2: -hmm. Well,
0: folks, thank you for punching yourself into the giant abyss of this long review for Temple of the Doom. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you understand Indiana Jones and Steven Spielberg and your id and Kali cults and everything better than you did before. We'll be back with uh, the Last Crusade. We'll be we'll be back with the Last Crusade, and then we'll be back with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Both of which will be fun to talk about. So, until next time, that wasn't so bad,
3: was it?